Hey, historians. Welcome to the Venturing with Ms. V e-learning world history podcast. My name is Mrs. Velasquez, Anaheim Union High School teacher, AP Human Geography educator, and your e-learning honors world history coach. If you're looking to up-level your historical thinking skills, time management, and your digital engagement for the school year and beyond, you've come to the right place. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of guidance to understand voices of the past and connect to global perspectives from today. Well, hello, my historians. I hope you are feeling fine and week number nine. We are ready to wrap up third quarter this week. Oh my goodness. Third quarter down and one to go. Our eyes are on the end of the tunnel, so to speak. You approximately have about 10 more weeks to your 10th grade year. Exciting times. So before we get started for today, thinking about as we wrap third quarter and all the good stuff that comes with fourth quarter push, right? Pushing ahead towards final grades, course, pushing ahead in all your commitments, which I enjoy reading about weekly basis with sports and swim and track and soccer and practice and all the wonderful things you're doing. Um, I thought we'd pause for a minute for our, um, our reflection piece. I'd like to start off with a quote. Um, so this quote is going to be titled, The Simple Joys. So the essence of life is not in great victories and grand failures, but in the simple joys. And again, I thought you maybe perhaps pause and think of again today as you listen to this podcast, what is maybe three things that bring simple joy in your life? I'll go ahead and share mine. My simple joys for today, of course, as you're getting to know me, coffee is always at the top of the list. Um, Number two on the list for today, simple joys Uh, I had presentations in my class for today were exceptionally well. Um, So I always enjoy, again, students doing their very best when they're presenting and connecting to what we're learning about. And I would probably say the last simple thing that just really um, made my day um, is I was baking today. I got to bake, this week I was baking bread, and I got to bake a batch of cinnamon rolls today. So yes, I'm a multi-talented woman. I'm an educator and also a baker. Um, So the little things, right? So take some time to, of course, as sometimes school, it will get kind of hectic. We got grades coming due. And like I said, that fourth quarter push, you know, like we said, it's not about the great victories or the failures. It's about the simple everyday joys. All right, historians, most of this podcast today, I would like to take some time to go over what is essential for week number nine, which is our next DBQ essay on the Treaty of Versailles. So just briefly to go over week nine, the usual format applies. You will have your learning journal forms. You will also have your claim evidence reasoning, which is going to help you construct your DBQ essay. It's really essential that you take the time to fill out that scaffold. It's going to help you collect your evidence, and for many of us, it's really going to push you to try to develop your reasoning. The reasoning in this case, right, is to answer the essential or the driving question, which is how is a treaty designed for peace ultimately going to lead us closer to a discussion of World War II. 
I've also posted an exam to kind of wrap up World War One. And then finally, I want to speak to you briefly 9.5, which will be an email, which is Dear Mrs. Velasquez. So for that email, I'm asking that you follow the format, um, starting off with something good or maybe even sharing your simple joys uh, based on our quote. I'm also asking you to reflect briefly of how you're putting your 2020 vision into action. So if you need a refresher the first week back, we worked on a 2020 vision board, visually um, sort of manifesting our goals and our um, adventures that we like to um, go ahead and focus on for 2020. So a lot of you set goals on time management, procrastination, working on your classes, maybe excelling in your sports. So I just want you to reflect briefly of how you're doing with that process. And then the last one, especially relevant for our third quarter grades, which close this week, I would also like you to, in email format, just give me a list of your uh, missing assignments. Now, I just want to say yet again, I do check the assignments on a weekly basis, and I usually check them once. So I've got a lot of people emailing or coming um, during office hours, which again, for those of you on site at Anaheim, you can visit me anytime, Tuesday and Thursday till 4 p.m. But a few people are asking, well, gee, I turned it in. I don't understand. If it's not turned in the deadline, chances are I didn't mark it down. So it is your responsibility to make sure that you are emailing me, letting me know. Ms. Velasquez, please check assignment 2.3. I resubmitted that and I'll give it a glance and we'll get it, make sure it's um, entered in the grade book. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the background essay um, and also look at some of the documents which will be in the DBQ. So let's just go ahead and just recap, um, setting the stage, right? The time. We're talking about the period that's following World War I, which has been the bulk of our discussion for the past few weeks. And World War I takes roughly between 1914 to 1918. So the signing of the Treaty of Versailles occurs in 1919. And World War II, to be clear, will begin in 1939 to 1945. It was only 14 short years between the signing of the treaty and the beginning of Hitler's dictatorship in 1933. Now, the place we're talking about, you should be able to locate, of course, our um, essential countries that were involved in our discussion, right? England, France, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Turkey. Make sure you note the location, of course, the Western Front in northeastern France, and also the Eastern Front in Eastern Europe. You should also note the location of Versailles, right? Versailles, more accurately called the Palace of Versailles, was the home in the center of government for the absolute monarchs that we talked about earlier in the year, right? Looking back to Louis XVI, um, that palace was extremely lavish and elegant with over 2,000 rooms. So it's a pretty big place to set um, set the story and really hash out that peace agreement. So the vocab and, you know, basic concepts, right? We're talking about um, Treaty of Versailles. In the flip lecture, I also go over um, the League of Nations and President Wilson's 14 points, as well as our big four, which includes Kamalan Swa, Lloyd George, and Vittorio Orlando. So when we dive into document A in this case, document A is going to have you look at two sources. And the nice thing about this particular DBQ is most of the documents do have two for one. So when we look at document A, you will see it's a German territorial loss map, and it's a short excerpt from Hitler's book Mein Kampf. So just some context or some background for the map. So together, Germany, because of the Treaty of Versailles, um, 
lost a bunch of territory. So some of the areas that Germany lost produced over 60, only 60 million tons of coal. Now flashback a bit. Remember when I say coal, that should connect to an energy source. That's essential for talking about industrial power. So losing coal is losing an essential, um, vital component of Germany's economy. So why Germany lost the land, it's, um, it's a major loss for the resources. It also, again, uh, was stripped of its colonies. So German colonies included, of course, we, when we looked at imperialism in Africa, right, all the way to Nambia and Rwanda and Botswana, as well as Pacific territories. So because of this, the British took over most of German's overseas colonies soon after the war began. So another thing that I want to highlight in document A as well is the, the fact that in the territory that was lost, Germany also lost access to some ports, which are essential for trade. So as you begin developing your reasoning, again, looking at the map, be sure you are citing correctly. You will not say in the map it showed or it said. You will simply state, again, Germany lost territory in the Rhineland, or it was demilitarized, or perhaps, again, coal was taken, or a port access was lost, colonies were taken away. Those are some examples, parentheses, document A. Also, the second half of document A, Hitler wrote his book, Mein Kampf, why he was in prison in Germany for actually attempting to overthrow the government in the 1920s. So Mein Kampf is actually par partially um, Hitler's autobiography, and more significantly, I would say it's almost his political manifesto. So Mein Kampf literally translates to my struggle. And it kind of focuses on three main themes. Number one, it focuses on the need for German expansion. So Hitler's going to say they need Livingstrom, they need living space, especially after the territory that was robbed. It's going to focus on the, uh, excuse me, the Jewish problem. And it's also going to focus on, again, how uh, Hitler is the one to sort of lead Germany out of its problems. Throughout the book, Hitler emphasized, of course, um, that his goal is to revive the German morale, their position of power that he believes was stolen or taken or unfairly ravaged away as a result of the Treaty of Versailles. All right, moving on, taking a look at document B, just a little bit of context notes. So as we look at document B, we will also see a piece of the Treaty of Versailles as well as a political cartoon. And when you approach looking at the Treaty of Versailles, this is where the flip lecture and also the textbook reading will help you um, analyze the document. So reminder, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson made a speech to joint session of Congress about 10 months before World War I ended that had basically outlined his 14 points. So like the Treaty of Versailles, the 14 points address the armaments um, and the military terms for future peace. Rather than singling out Germany for punishment, remember Wilson was the one that was trying to open um, agreements for peace. He wanted freedom and navigation of the seas. He wanted to make sure that, again, we reduce um, any weapons that were being used and make sure the treaty was less punitive. So when we take a look at the treaty itself, we see that slightly different than what Germany actually signed. We also want to keep in mind, of course, that although Germany increased many of its weapons um, more than any other European country in the years before World War I, all the other countries in Europe also increased their arms production. 
So going into the war, Russia had the second largest number of arms and weapons next to Germany. Um, for example, when the war began, Britain's Navy was also the largest in Europe. So when you look at the cartoon in that case, we have to keep in mind, what is the political cartoon showing us, which is asking us to break down in this case, right? The translations looking at Germany, France, Belgium, Czechoslovakia. You can also see that Germany is drawn very small in scale, which could indicate how they're feeling. Um, so when you think about your reasoning, you begin to kind of approach it. Remember, our driving question is, how will this lead to war? So perhaps from Germany's perspective, right, the fact that they were surrounded by countries that were strong, did have arms, did have weapons that potentially can be used. Perhaps Germany felt intimidated. It was surrounded by all its enemies. Perhaps Germ Germany felt controlled in some way. And sometimes when we feel that we as humans, right, it's human nature, we get kind of almost backed into a corner if we feel threatened, we feel um, intimidated, we feel like we're about to you know, perish in some way, sometimes our animal instinct will kick in, right? And we attack. We've heard the uh, phrase before, when you're backed into a corner, you either fight or flight. So either you're going to run away from the situation or you're going to stand up and you're going to fight. So perhaps even some of that feeling or sentiment occurs when we kind of look at that cartoon in uh, troop levels in the 1920. All right, looking at document C, which is going to look at more financial um, reparations. So the initial amount of reparations required for Germany was originally stated over as twice as much, 269 billion gold marks. But it was gradually reduced to 1921 to 132 gold marks. So despite the enormous economic problems in Germany following World War I, Germany did not have to rebuild bridges and roads and schools and businesses like other nations, particularly France. So when you think about the Western Front, remember that's where most of the fighting had took place. So particularly France and Belgium, I should say, because major battles were fought there and um, not fought in Germany, for example. So Germany only paid a small portion of the reparations, and Germany received three times as many loans from the Allies that they paid. Reparations um, by themselves did not ruin the German economy, but different parties overthrew the Weimar Republic. Now, when we read the Weimar Republic, I want to remind you, after the fall of the Kaiser, there was a transition in Germany in which they established a republic, which we go back to as a form of democracy. So it is this Weimar Republic that does agree to the financial reparations. It is this republic that, again, Hitler will be openly attacking. And again, he will suspend all um, reparations when he becomes chancellor. Or excuse me, before he becomes chancellor, he suspends in 1931 and he will become chancellor in 1933. All right, and the last document you'll be taking a look at, which is document D, which really has to do with the blame or the humiliation. So looking at the pieces of the document provided, Adolf Hitler, of course, is going to rally in his speech, uh, or he's going to, uh, the quote, I should say, is talking about how Adolf Hitler rallied a sense of humiliation and rage within Germany. It's really related to that one single piece, very famously noted of the Treaty of Versailles, known as the War Guilt Clause. So 
because of this, again, Hitler's response to the Great Depression was one of another reasons why he became so popular. So Hitler becomes powerful in 1933. He begins to rearm. He begins working on projects. He begins putting people back to work. He begins really sort of investing in Germany, sort of making Germany strong again. And this is very appealing to the German people, which is going to allow them to sort of follow him and kind of rebuild that confidence. So going back to, like we said earlier, right? Humans, we don't like to feel bad about themselves. We like to feel good about ourselves. So the war guilt clause could definitely be cited as one particular reason in which Germany is going to want to rise and stand up for itself in World War II. All right, so as you begin to construct your assignment for your claim evidence reasoning, I did provide the template, which has the basic structure for the hook, the background, the driving question, and your claim. So today's secret podcast post is I would like you to go ahead and post your claim for this DBQ. Now, a trick to keep in mind, but not to copy word for word, of course, is you need to remember the four main provisions or sections of the treaty that really caused that friction within Germany and led to the cause of World War II. So the trick that I gave you in the flip lecture is BRAT. Uh, B-R-A-T, which stands for Blame, Reparations, Army Cut, and Territorial Loss. So for this particular DBQ, you will select three of those out of BRAT. And as just like last time with imperialism, you want to put your most important reason in your final body paragraph. In fact, for the structure, I've also called for at least three citations in your third body paragraph. Now you should, and you could of course, put three pieces of evidence in every single body paragraph, but it is required for at least that third body paragraph for this DBQ. I want to stress again that this is more than just citing evidence. It is really for you to try to explain, try to argue, trying to connect the dots of how one thing will lead to the other. That is one area for growth for all members of the team is it developing that reason, that explanation. So imagine me as that little voice inside of your head, that little maybe Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder, right? And when you start typing, uh, Germany lost uh, coal and natural resources, parentheses, document A. This caused their economy to be struggling. And then imagine me saying, okay, then now what? Because they were struggling, they wanted to rise, to rebuild their economy, they wanted to be powerful again, which therefore again, which is going to lead them to World War II, World War II, World War II. All right, a lot of talking for today, but my hope, of course, as you listen to the podcast, you are using it to guide your claim evidence reasoning and ultimately finishing up your DBQ essay for this week. So one more time, your secret question is to post your claim, which is going to be some variation of Brett. So please know you will not be writing about all four. You will only select three with your most important in your final body paragraph. All right, with all that, I must be off. I am furiously grading, trying to finish up the quarter, and I want to make sure you have time to continue working your DBQs. Please make sure that you uh, address your email 
post or your email um, assignment for this week. And please make sure you're also citing those numbers in those assignments that you would like rechecked. All right, my historians, have a great week. Have an excellent end to third quarter. And I will see you on the boards.